0: It is my great pleasure to welcome you here. You are generally over there, but now you're going to be here. I very exposed about a piano. Oh, well, um, that's all right. But, um, Claire, I know that uh, when we asked you to speak about uh, wholehearted worship, Uh, we just know that uh, we're in for a treat because you are a woman of God and worship just oozes from you and you have this extraordinary gift of being able to lead people into the presence of God and it is an extraordinary gift because what can be better to help people to encounter others and I praise God for you and the band Every Streams and it is my great pleasure to welcome you and I'd like to pray for you because you've got a great musical background but it's your heart Heart that we want to hear your heart of love for father god so father god i thank you for claire i just thank you that she is a worshiper i just thank you that she knows who you are And I thank you for this extraordinary gift of being able to lead us into your presence. And I pray now, Lord, that you might uh, equip her and anoint her with the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, just speak through her. Our hearts are hungry. We're thirsty. And we just want to know more about you because you are an extraordinary God. So come and bless her as she blesses us. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Isn't it lovely to worship together? I think if I could spend all my Monday evenings worshipping, it would be, well, with others, it'd be great. Um, As Anne said, I'm Claire. Um, I'm really lucky in that I get to spend a lot of time doing this and and leading God's people in worship, which is just a real joy. Um, My day job, so to speak, is, um, it's a fancy title. It doesn't live up to the title. I am Head of Music and Collective Worship at a school in Bromsgrove. it's not as exciting as it sounds, but it does mean that I get to plan and lead the spiritual program for 650 young people, um, which is a real privilege. And we've got some fantastic young people who love standing up and doing what I'm doing now and speaking to people about Jesus, which is just great. Um, so tonight, our theme is wholehearted worship. What does it mean for us to be wholehearted worshipers? What gets in the way? How can we become freer worshippers? If you have a Bible with you, perhaps you could turn with me to 1 Chronicles 16. And Claire is going to read for us, starting at verse 23. Sing to
2: the Lord, all the earth, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness tremble before him all the earth the word is firmly established it cannot be moved let the heavens rejoice let the earth be glad let them say among the nations the lord reigns let the sea resound and all that is in it let the fields be jubilant and everything in them then the trees of the forest will sing they will sing for joy before the lord for he comes to judge the earth Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God, our saviour. Gatherers and deliver us for the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name, that we may glory in your praise. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praise the Lord.
1: Thank you, Claire. Isn't this an amazing hymn of praise? It dates from around 450 BC, when King David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. He has just appointed Levites to minister before the Ark, basically as the hip worship band of their day on lyre, harp, trumpet and cymbals. And he gives them this incredible worship song to sing. Just in the first seven verses, we can find eight clear commands to worship. Sing to the Lord, proclaim his salvation, declare his glory, ascribe to the Lord, ascribe means to give what is due, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord glory due to his name, bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Now, of course, worship is far more than just singing. James tells us that true worship is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Paul, writing in his letter to the Romans, tells us that we are to offer our souls and bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Worship, as one of my favourite fridge magnets says, is not an event to attend, but a lifestyle to be lived. It's about living out what Jesus describes in Matthew as the greatest commandment in the law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. However, What is also clear in scripture is that there is something a bit special about singing praises to God. Song worship seems to matter to God for some reason. The Bible contains over 400 references to singing. Don't worry, I'm not going to list them all. It is very warm in here. And 50 direct commands to sing. In fact, Zephaniah 3.17 tells us that God himself rejoices over us with singing. He rejoices over us he sings over us that completely blows my mind so the question is how do we respond well there are three things I think God's put on my heart for us tonight three aspects of wholehearted worship to explore firstly wholehearted worship has to be intentional it is about actively seeking him secondly it has to be expectant We need to expect that we will encounter him and that in that encounter we will be changed. And thirdly, it's about a journey towards ever greater intimacy with God. There is always more. So intentionality. I wonder if I were to ask you whether or not you have any bad habits, what you might say. I have this slight problem that one of my friends elegantly describes as disroutia. I get in the car to drive somewhere, and then my mind drifts. I go into autopilot, and I end up somewhere completely different. It's yeah. <laughs> A few months back, I was going to Leicester to meet friends, and it wasn't until I could see the ball ring that I realised <laughs> I had in fact driven into central Birmingham, somewhere I try to avoid driving. Anyway, more embarrassingly, um, a number of years ago now, on the first day of a new job, I had to ring the school to explain that I would be late in as I was accidentally driven to Northampton rather than to Warwick. I can't imagine that it did much for first impressions. You see, my problem is that I am absolutely terrible at being in the present, I'm always off somewhere else in my head, functioning on a kind of autopilot. But wholehearted worship has to be intentional. It's a decision. It's a choice. We worship because we're told to. We worship because we're created to be worshipers. We worship because he first loved us, because he came to find us when we were still far off because his love is passionate it is reckless and powerful and it searches us out and it pursues us till we have no choice but to turn around and worship him we worship because he is the great i am we worship because it is as liturgy for those of us who are anglicans reminds us our duty and our joy to honor him Now, there are various words used in Scripture for worship. We're not going to go over the Hebrew or the Greek now. But one of the most frequently used words in the Old Testament refers to physical postures. Um, It might be standing, kneeling, bowing, or raising hands. And I think this is really significant. It's an outward and upward expression of our inner heart posture towards God. It's a response to revelation of who God is, of what he has done, of what he is doing, of what he will do. Because intentional worship is actually about obedience in the little things. It's about making a conscious decision, minute by minute, day by day, to have no other God before him, the first commandment. To honour him in the minutiae of our ordinary, everyday, messy, hidden and imperfect human lives. Now for me, one of the scariest things when I have to start a new job is meeting the Year 13 music group. They are generally quite fond of their current music teacher and didn't want them to leave in the first place. And they have very specific ideas about what this new person arriving should be like. Um, a good few years back now, I'm starting a, a new school just down the road in Warwick, um, one of my first lessons was with the year 13 music group, three strapping 18 year old boys who towered above me. Only three, but I put, plucked on my courage and I walked into the classroom expecting to find them sitting nicely at a desk, ready to learn. Two of them were jamming on the piano. One had his feet up reading a book. Not a great start, I thought. Anyway, I realised that the boys on the piano were noodling away at a Matt Redman song. This one I know, I think. So I start humming along. The tallest boy, who had a mop of unruly blonde curls, looked straight at me and went, Are you a Christian, miss? Um, Yes, I am. I responded, a real Christian or a Sunday Christian, he said. I did grow to really love that class, but it took a while. But it's a good point, isn't it? Wholehearted worship demands more than an hour and a half on a Sunday morning or a Monday evening. 1 Chronicles 16 verse 29 tells us that we are to bring an offering. And that offering for us is a life lived for him. Worship has to be foundational. And everything froze from it. Otherwise, we burn out. And when we worship in the little things, in the everyday, the boring, the messy, the hidden, it's like we plant a flag. We stake a claim for Jesus. We proclaim his lordship in our homes, our schools, our families, our workplaces. And then we come together as a community, whether it's on a Sunday or a Monday night or a Wednesday evening, and we gather up all those little offerings and we offer them up in unity. I wonder, perhaps unity is why singing in worship is such a recurrent theme in the Bible. It joins us together, word, rhythm, pitch, melody, harmony. And in doing so, it joins us to a bigger reality. In Revelation four, we get that incredible picture of the heavenly throne room with multitudes bowing down before the king in worship. And when we join in with that angelic song, when we join in with the praises of believers echoing down the centuries, things change. Darkness gets pushed back. The kingdom breaks in a little. We worship because we have been made free to worship by his grace. We worship because in doing so, we step into our true identity and become fully alive. And it has to start with authentic, intentional a decision to be a wholehearted worshipper. Number two, wholehearted worship is expectant. I wonder when you came here this evening, how did you feel? Were you excited? Were you hopeful, tired, a bit hot and sweaty? Did you prepare? Did you come expectant to meet God? One of my favorite people in scripture is Peter. Headstrong, passionate, impetuous Peter. He rushes in, he messes up, he gets things wrong. And I think my favorite story about Peter comes from John 21, where the disciples, having fished all night and caught nothing, encounter the risen Jesus standing on the shore. Um, If you have a Bible, perhaps you'd like to turn with me to John 21. We're going to read verses 2 to 8. It says this, Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, "'Throw your net in on the right side of the boat, and you will find some.' When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple, who Jesus loved, said to Peter, "'It is the Lord.' As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, "'It is the Lord,' he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish." for they were not far from shore, about a hundred metres. I love Peter's enthusiasm here. So overcome is he to see Jesus standing there that he puts his coat on and jumps out of the boat into the water. I so want that to be my response to seeing Jesus. But if I'm honest, if I was Peter here, I don't think that would have been my response This is before Jesus has reinstated Peter, and he is still carrying all of that shame and failure from having denied Jesus not once, but three times. If that was me, I would have been out the other side of the boat, treading water, going, guys, you know what? You go ahead, speak to Jesus, let me know what sort of mood he's in, then I'll join you in a bit. But there's none of that. Peter's response is full of joy and expectancy to see his friend. It reminds me of that famous passage in the letter to the church to Laodicea, found in Revelation 3, 15 to 16, where Jesus says to the church, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. It's the opposite of Peter peter gets things wrong and he gets things wonderfully right he's definitely either hot or cold because it's a dangerous thing apathy it comes subtly and it takes our expectancy away the enemy sows little seeds and we grow a little bit cold a little bit distant a little bit cynical a little bit hard-hearted and little by little he takes our hope he takes our joy and he takes our unity god's presence demands passion who he is and what he has done demands passion. I don't know about you, but I want a little bit of Peter's passion for Jesus. There's a great quote by John Wesley, which I think really sums this up. It's on the inside of a cover to a, a book of hymns. Um, and I think it may have been a little bit of an unspoken threat to the congregation because he said this. Sing lustily with good courage. Beware of singing as if you are half dead or half asleep. But lift your voice with strength. Be no more half afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of it being heard than you were when you sang the songs of Satan. Worship isn't about how we feel. It's about who God is. Scripture is full of people pouring out hurt, pain, and anger to God. We could open the Bible at random sections of Psalms, Lamentations, or Ecclesiastes, and there is a really... High likelihood that we will find anger or pain or sadness being poured out to God on those pages. It is about who He is, and He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. A few years back, I was diagnosed with environmental depression, thankfully, long since past. Um, but actually, during that time, worshipping was really hard. Um, I got so fed up of going to church and the worship set would start and I would be in floods of tears and I was embarrassed, I felt silly, I felt really ashamed that I couldn't worship because I didn't feel I'd got anything to give to God. Um, And I remember talking to a very wise friend about it and saying, all I've got is tears. And she said, well, then that's your worship. If all you've got to bring is tears, then bring tears. We're called to give what we can, like the widows are offering, like Daniel's friends in the fiery furnace, saying he will save us, but even if he doesn't, we will still worship him alone. And there's a verse in Matthew's gospel that really grabbed me when I was preparing this. It's Matthew 26, 30. Jesus and the disciples have just finished the Last Supper. He's explained to them what is coming. He's predicted that Judas will betray him. Peter will deny him and that all the disciples will fall away. They're about to head to the Mount of Olives and Gethsemane. And there's this little verse tucked away, which I have so often skipped over. And it says this, when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. With all of that sadness, all of that fear and anguish and worry, they stopped in the midst of it and sang a hymn of praise to God before they went on to the Mount of Olives. I think if Jesus could worship in that place, that is incredibly challenging. And that leads us into my third and final point for tonight, which is that wholehearted worship is a journey. It's a lifelong journey into greater intimacy with God. Worship changes us. When we come into the presence of God, we are changed little by little into the likeness of Christ. And we have an amazing privilege in worship as Christians. Psalms um, 120 through 134 are known as the Psalms of Ascent and were sung by pilgrims as they wound their way up towards the temple, through the outer courts and on in to stand outside the holiest places where only the priests could go. But on Good Friday, when Jesus died the curtain in that temple, the veil that separated the ordinary people from the presence of God, that veil tore in two. So we can enter right into his presence, right into intimacy. And the spirit leads us deeper and deeper. There's a picture of Ezekiel, the water's pouring out from the throne and we're called to wade out into his presence, his love, his grace at first ankle deep But then knee deep, waist deep, and then into water too deep to cross, swimming fully emerged. I wonder where we're standing tonight. Is it ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep? And where do you want to be? I know I want to be out in the depths swimming, and I'm not there yet, but I really want to get there one day. What stops us from going deeper? If worship is about a response to who God is, then we need to remember our first love. Another letter from the book of Revelation, addressed this time to the church in Ephesus, says this. You have persevered and endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet you have forsaken the love that you had at first. We need to know who we are, who we truly are in Christ. We need to refuse to let lies spoken over us by others or ourselves get in between us and the love of our father. We need to be intentional seeking him first. We need to be stuck into this amazing book knowing who we are worshipping and why. We need to take that first commandment to love him above all else. Take hold of it and make it the central driving point of our lives because when we do When we grasp just how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, then our outpouring of love and gratitude can only result in true, authentic, wholehearted worship. I just want to leave you with these words from the American um, monk Thomas Merton. He says this, By reading the scriptures, I am so renewed that all nature seems renewed around me and with me. The sky seems to be a pure, cooler blue. The trees, a deeper green. The whole world is charged with the glory of God. And I feel fire and music under my feet. Amen.
0: Thank you, Claire. Wow, you've given us so much to think about. And um, just, well, very deep. I think we could dine out out on that for a very long time. So at Streams, we love to worship. And we've still got time later on to have some more worship of drawing closer to Father God. So we love our times of worship. We love our times of teaching. And we've just had some on um, worship being... Uh, What was the first one? It's intentional. It's expectant. And it's wholehearted um, worship is a journey into intimacy. And we can only do those things because God is who he is. And the core team as we planned tonight we very much wanted to give you an opportunity of blessing others around you and helping them to think about the characteristics of God because if we are going to worship all of our life then we really need to know who our God is, and He is an amazing God. So, as you came in, you were given the invitations for next time in September, but you were given a letter. Is that right? Barbara hasn't got one. So, can one of the team put up your hand if you haven't got one of these letters? Anne hasn't got one. OK, I think it's those who were very keen came in very early. So, Barbara on the front, Anne down there, there's a lady over there. Right. Oh, and the worship team haven't got them. So they are all different. I actually have an A here. I have an F and I have a P. And um, what we'd like you to do is to get into threes. (gasps) Scary, scary. But... um, What I'm about to ask you, if it's really not your thing, then please, please don't feel you have to do this. This is only if you would like to. We do actually have a a lovely sanctuary area behind me and another area, the uh, Resurrection Chapel over there. So you just might want to draw aside and not do this letter prayer activity. Um, So you can go there or you might just want to stay where you are. But what we're going to invite you to do is whatever your letter is, then you're going to get into groups of three. And say if you had an A, then the people around you, the two other women, would think about God and think about his characteristics beginning with an A. My first one would be God is awesome. That's one of his characteristics. It might be that he's absolutely a accessible that we know in the Bible. He is the beginning. He's the alpha. And well, he's amazing, isn't he? And what you would then do is um, you would look at that person. If I was a, a for Anne, someone, the two of you would then pray that into me so that in my lifetime of intimacy and worship with God, that I would know how amazing he is, that he's awesome, that I would trust him and that I would see his awesomeness working out. So that's what we're going to be doing. It's in threes, deep breath, and you can't really get it wrong because the bottom line is you're going to bless those other people in your little group. But in the well, on a training course, we love demonstrating. And Ruth, I'm going to give you one of these letters. Um, Which one should I give you? I'm going to give you F. And what I'd like you to do, pretend you're in a group, and I'd like you to find somebody and just bless them with the F characteristics of God. Is that all right?
3: Okay, Jenny. F is for father, faithful friend, forgiver. He never fails. So, Jenny, know that he is your father God. You can trust him in every situation and he's never going to let you down. That when you feel maybe friends let you down, he is that faithful friend. He is actually always there. He guides you. He leads you. He speaks into your life. And when other people fail, he is faithful. He's faithful every day and he will be faithful all your life. And he forgives you. We all make mistakes we all say things we maybe shouldn't, but know that Father God forgives you every single thing that you've ever done in your life because he loves you so much. He's your savior. He's your friend. He's your heavenly father. Brilliant. So who was that
0: going to? I couldn't hear him. Who was that? Jenny. 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 How amazing is that? How are you after that? Speechless. That is amazing. Well, that's that's what we're going to do. So, um, it's quite nice maybe to be in in a group of three, perhaps with people you don't necessarily know, because then you can. Well, it just it might be quite good. So, is that a good idea? Getting into threes.